Paul writes to Timothy saying, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus to Troas. Also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubalus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirits. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, would you open up your word to us this morning? Father, may we see in it the life through the promises given, to, given from you to us through it. And Father, in tasting that life, might we remember that you are good, that you've not left us alone, nor that you have purpose for us in all things. So comfort us, O Lord, this day, and cause us to walk with joy. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love the end of Paul's epistles. I know they're not most people's favorite parts of Scripture because they're dealing with practical things and names and there's a lot of compact information that's all funneled into a few short verses. But they give us insight and unique insight into the dynamics behind Paul's own soul as he was writing and composing the letters that he was writing. They gave us insight into his friendships, into his discouragements, into his hopes and his ambitions. And we see that powerfully here in our chap the end of our chapter in 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, all along Paul's been writing and encouraging Timothy, investing in him, pouring in him, encouraging him to be the kind of pastor that he knows he can be and that God has called him to be. He's also indirectly encouraging and challenging the church to listen to him, to respond accordingly to him, and also to be inspired by his example of holiness and godliness in their midst. But though in chapter 1 Paul mentioned he was in prison, it's here again that we understand some of the circumstances of Paul's own life. And quite candidly and purely, Paul's alone. He's isolated. He's hurt. He's disappointed. He's felt rejected and dejected by his own fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, many of whom he had been investing in for years and for months and for days. He's in a prison in Rome, which was no party by any means. We don't know exactly which prison Paul was in, but the descriptions we have from the ancient world of prisons was a horrifying set of conditions. Lack of food, cold, exposure, not to mention threat of murder or violence by those who are around you. These are the circumstances that Paul finds himself in. 
And it's interesting, in those moments of isolation, in those threats of abuse and of harm to his own body, who is he thinking of? He's thinking of God. He's thinking of Timothy. It's why he's been writing this letter all along. But here as we come to these final verses now, we turn more particularly to Paul's circumstances. And we see in our passage lessons and um, and directions on how we can respond to the circumstances of isolation and betrayal. Isolation and betrayal. Boy, they often go together, don't they? I don't know every dynamic of all of your stories, but I've had the chance to get to know some of your stories over the course of the last year. And all of us, in varying ways and varying levels of depth, have experienced varying forms of isolation. We felt alone, isolated from our family members. We felt alone, isolated in our work context professionally. Perhaps sometimes you even feel spiritually isolated from God as a result of your own sin, the dynamics of your life. If you feel that way, if you've ever felt that way, then the Word of God, friends, is for you. So let's listen and hear what the Spirit has to say to us through the preaching of His Word. Paul opens to Timothy saying, do your best to come to me soon. He longs to see his disciple, pupil, and student in the faith, his brother in Christ. And he then turns immediately to giving dynamics and to giving a report of the varying dynamics of the different individuals that he and Timothy mutually know. And the report is in times good, and the report is at times bad. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was once a member of Paul's uh, inner circle. He's mentioned in varying places in um, Colossians and also in uh, Philemon as being uh, right there joined with Luke in terms of his ministry and his connection to Paul. But whatever commonality, whatever brotherhood and community Demas and Paul and Luke and the others once had, we see now that Paul very much feels betrayed by Demas. He articulates why, because Demas is in love with the present world. This contrasts dramatically with a love for Christ. Demas's own ultimate has revealed itself in the decision patterns of his life, and the decision patterns of his life have revealed that he does not want to remain in fellowship and near Paul rather wants to leave and go to Thessalonica. Whatever responsibilities or whatever promises are available there to the east in him, he sees those as far more advantageous to his life than remaining with Paul, who is now imprisoned. And before we get too angry at Demas, let's recognize that there was in this season a great persecution that was going on among the church, particularly Christians in Rome. Nero was in power and the threats were very real in terms of the livelihoods and the responsibilities and the likelihood of success for Christians. And, does, and persecution causes many things, one of which is it causes individuals to depart in a fear of their own lives. But despite Demas's responsibilities, there's also hope in the other dynamics of individuals that shared ministry connections with Paul and Timothy. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. He's no longer in Crete, meaning the work that Paul had for him in his letter that he sent to him of appointing elders in every church and in every town there in Crete. He's finished that work and is moving on, which shows that there's great progress in the gospel. 
Meanwhile, Crescens, another member of their friendship and of their mutual support, has gone to Galatia or possibly to Gaul. There are alternative uh, manuscripts that say Gaul here. We don't know what happened to Crescens. We don't know what his circumstances were. But in each of these three men's lives, Demas, Crescens, and Titus, we see three reasons, three very tangible, real reasons why we sometimes experience isolation in life and in ministry. We experience isolation because people have departed the faith, they've left the faith or left our fellowship hostily. We see um, transition and isolation because people are doing well, they're moving on to other areas that God has called them to. And sometimes there are reasons why we don't know why we're isolated. We don't know what's happened to individuals around us and in our lives. Regardless of the dynamics of our isolation, though sometimes identifying them helps, there are, in the midst of our own isolation, three provisions that God gives us to strengthen us and encourage us in the midst of our own life, of our own isolation. And the first one is good books. Book lovers rejoice. Paul, in his writing, says, Please, Timothy, Bring for me the books, bring me my books, and also, above all, the parchments. These are possibly personal letters or writings that were written to him. Maybe it's proof of his Roman citizenship. We don't know for sure. The books could be copies of his own scriptures that he might be encouraged from them. But in these few clauses, there's something that is very important to us to remember that the life of the mind and strengthening the life of the mind in the midst of isolation is a great gift that God has given to us. In moments of my own ministry isolation or isolation in life, I have found that a quality book along with Scripture has the potential to take me from a state of discouragement and downtroddenness to elevating the own affections of my heart into true joy. And particularly in the moments of isolation, the kind of books that I find most helpful aren't books that are about discouragement or depression or anxiety. Those in my own soul tend to make me feel worse about myself and not feel better. I need something that's going to take me outside of the struggles of my life and look to greater pastures beyond. And so the books that I find most rewarding in moments of isolation and despair are books like Knowing God by J.I. Packer, books like The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, Books like The Surprising Work of God, which was written by Jonathan Edwards, which is an account of the revivals and the spiritual activity that was going on in Puritan New England that was the forebearer to the Great Awakening. You see, books like this take me out of myself, and they turn me to the source of all eternal hope and joy. So I'd encourage you, if you ever find yourself isolated, that's a great time to start studying the doctrine and the character and the work of God. They take you outside of yourself, look, have you look at the very face of God in the midst of your circumstances, and in that you find growth, hope, and joy. Well, another gift that he gives to us in the midst of isolation are the very simple comforts of life. Paul asks Timothy for his, um, for his cloak, for his, um, uh, what's the word in the ESV? For his, um, yeah, for his cloak that he has asked Paul, uh, Timothy to bring to him. 
This cloak that he's asking for was a thick, heavy outer layer. It's more than a blanket, more than a wrap. It was a very thick coat that was designed to keep the rain and the elements off of him and also provide warmth, particularly as the winter months are coming. See, there's great graces and gifts to us from God in the very simple pleasures around us that we often take for granted. Things like a simple meal, simple food, a nice conversation with a friend, a good book like I mentioned before, the warmth of a blanket. Now, maybe not in the heat of August in um, Austin. Maybe you should turn your AC up first before you throw on that warm blanket. But there are, cre there are comfortable, helpful, beneficial gifts that God has given to us right around us in the simple things around us that remind us of his goodness. So also, thirdly, and even more profoundly than that, in the midst of our isolation, there's a great tendency for us to withdraw and turn in on ourselves. We are in danger of sometimes pulling so far away that we think that no one loves us and everyone is against us, and so we will divorce and isolate ourselves from other individuals. The effect of that is sometimes we will overplay and over-dramatize the own realities of our circumstances. See, Paul, if he's tempted to do this, as soon as he gets to that point, we also see that he turns in verse 11, reminding himself of Luke and of Mark and of Tychicus, and then later on in our passage of the varying individuals that he knew in previous states in life. Though you might be alone today, doesn't mean that you've always been alone, nor will it mean that you won't always be alone. There are times and seasons that God has appointed us to have differing levels of quality and quantity of friendships and relationships, and differing levels of um, quality of depth of relationship. Here Paul remembers Luke is with him, that great entrusted brother in Christ. He also remembers Mark, that great story of redemption. You remember Mark? In the early parts of Acts, Mark was the source of division between Paul and between Barnabas. Barnabas and Mark went off their own way, and Paul and Silas went their own way. But we have little traces throughout the New Testament that there was a great reconciliation between Mark and between Luke. Friends, there's hope for reconciliation in all of your relationships, if the Lord provides and as the Lord directs. But not only is there hope in those individuals, there's also hope in the many names and people and places that the Lord has given you in different times. God hasn't always left you in a state of isolation, nor will he always keep you in a state of isolation. But in the midst of isolation, he does have purpose for you. So draw near to him in those moments and discern what his will is. Well, what is that will? Paul gives us a little more indication of his circumstances later on in verse 14. And here as we move to verse 14, we understand that the context of what he's thinking about as he moves into 15 and 16 are the circumstances of his own trial in public Roman court. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. We don't know entirely the nature or context in which Alexander did this great harm. But in the context that Paul is talking about here regarding his own trial defense in court, it's led many scholars to think that possibly Alexander was a public witness against Paul in one of his trial proceedings. 
Again, we don't know about their personal dynamics or relationships, but we know here in this own circumstance of Paul's ministry in Rome that Alexander the coppersmith was a great opponent of him. He did him great harm in his works. If that wasn't discouraging enough to have a public opposer to your own life and ministry, we also see here in verse 16 that in the context of his trial, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me but all deserted me. In all the church at Rome, despite all of Paul's work in the midst of the church and ministry to their community, when the time of his greatest need was at hand, when he most needed counsel in his public defense, when he needed character witnesses about his own purpose and worth and importance and trials, when he needed the support of a loving arm, there was no one there, no Christian in Rome. And how does Paul respond to his betrayers, either to um, Alexander the coppersmith or to his brothers and sisters in Christ who neglected him? Well, to Alexander, he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He's not holding on to unnecessary animosity against him. And to his brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, may it not be charged against them. He replaces anger, frustration, and hurt with compassion. Wow, that's hard to do, especially when you're in those kind of circumstances. But if you notice here in what's going on in Paul's story, it might sound or seem like a similar story that you've heard before. Do you remember when Christ was on trial? Do you remember when there were false witnesses that were lined up against him saying lies, spewing lies in public court about him? Do you remember when he was there and no one was there at his defense? But what did God do for Christ? He allowed him to silently, uh, wisely respond with testimony about himself. So also here in Paul's own life and ministry, when he stood before the courts, he felt the Holy Spirit guide him and direct him, strengthening him in such a way that he could proclaim the gospel to all who were around him. And it's interesting, we know the Roman courts were were open. You could come and sit down and hear what's going on. In the life of the world, there are those of us who are true crime junkies. It's true today. It was true in the first century. There, as Paul was being placed on trial, he noticed in the galley that there were Gentiles, men and women from the nations, who needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps that's why he was able to forgive his own brothers and sisters in Christ, recognizing that God was trying to make room for every last Gentile, every last unbeliever there in court to have a space to sit so they could be ready to not see the trial of Paul, but to hear God's own trial against humankind as he proclaimed the gospel through Paul, a gospel of judgment for sin and a gospel of redemption only through faith in Jesus Christ. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit was doing for Paul and through Paul. You see, he'd been using his isolation. He'd been using every moment in his life up to that point, every lesson, every teaching, every study of his word to prepare him for this moment that there on that day he might faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this leads Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, to great doxology. He says, oh, to God, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Because he recognizes now that every circumstance in his life, whether good or evil, whether his own transgression or whether a transgression done against him, was a gift. 
that had been given to him by God to form his soul and use him as an agent of God's own glory. Here in the midst of his trial and as he's concluding this, he's remembering these circumstances to Timothy, encouraging him, Timothy, be aware, be wise, be discerning, but also recognize that in all things, God is preparing and directing you to proclaim from him grace and to him in all things glory. This is why he has made us, informed us, and called us to himself. He's stripped us away of all of our sin and all of our insecurities. He's stripped us away of every sin that entangles us, that we might purely stand before him exactly how he sees us as we truly are, completely naked and unashamed. And in that exposure, he is using us to form his own character in us. Praise God. Praise God. Friends, I don't know what God has in store for you in every dynamic in your life. I have no possible way of knowing that. But I know that hard times have come, hard times are here, and hard times are probably still ahead of us. But in every moment, God has for us gifts that we might understand that he is the giver of gifts. And even through the pain and hardship of isolation and betrayal, he can use all things for his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. And Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us together as siblings in the faith. Lord, strengthen us as your people. Be, continue to be patient with us in our imperfections. And Father, give us grace to really see what you are doing in our midst and in our own lives. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.